Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. A great fucking week, followed by another great fucking week. Guys, what do you think? Am I the only one that's super psyched about the way we've been playing? I feel spoiled. Like, it's been... <laughs> like, I've, I'm so used to us having a disappointing week that the past two weeks have just <laughs> been an absolute freaking delight like i i cannot it's it, 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 i forgot how it felt to like be proud like to be proud to be calling yourself a chelsea fan and like telling people yeah i'm a chelsea fan because this whole season it's like oh yeah i like chelsea and then they're like oh yeah they're not supposed to be very good this year right and i was like oh we'll see you know you know then when i say it like that it's like you know i i'm just saying that because i'm a fan but and you know so, to start off the season we did have a couple bad games to start it off. So, uh, I mean, it wasn't unwarranted that spec, that speculation, you know, the, the doubt from the, uh, from other people, but Hey, and, and also we've, we've played some easy teams. So, I mean, yeah. I can't put too much into it, but yeah, arguably they're not, they're <laughs> not, they're not one of the top teams that, you know, I'm not going to you know, put, put ourselves up with uh, the Liverpool's and Man Cities of the world, but Hey, we are definitely upper, middle table class you know i definitely agree and it's international breaks always suck but when you're on a four match win streak like that's the last (laughs) thing you want like i'm ready for the next match and just keep the momentum going so hopefully crossing our fingers we get through this international break so that we can take on newcastle just fine didn't didn't the international break come at the worst possible time? Am I the only one that feels that way? Always, always. <laughs> yeah, we got we got playoff baseball. We got good, you know, NBA season <laughs> starting. So in America, we got some good things going on. You know, Formula but... One race this weekend for me at least. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, First time seeing Anthony Davis in a Laker jersey. You know, no big deal, right, Sam? All right, so let's get into this Lille game. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I'm distracted by that annoying question. So, first we're going to start off with a Champions League matchup against Lille. Final score, Chelsea 2, Lille 1. So, I'll go through a starting 11 real quick, and I'll also give you my <laughs> initial reaction to reading it when it was announced. So, Kepa... Fikayo, Tomori, Kurt Zuma, Dave, Alonzo, Jorginho, Conte, Reese James, Mount, Tammy, Williams. So when I first read that, I was like, wow, okay, so Reese James is going to be playing in the midfield then because I thought it was going to be uh, Alonzo and uh, and Dave as right backs and they're playing at 4-3-3. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, Reese James. And then I looked a little bit harder and I was like, wait a second, no. It can't be three four three. <laughs> Is it back? Uh, and it was. It was the return of the three four three. So that was recent. And uh, Dave on opposite sides, starting together as the wing backs. Uh, another reaction to reading this lineup is Pulisic was left off the match day squad completely, uh, which was like really a dramatic scene in my head. Like I just. Could not believe that he'd even get onto the squad. But anyway, general stats of this match. We had 63% possession, 11 chances created, 
and uh, we had 533 accurate uh, accurate passes compared to 280 for Lille. So um, let's start off with the negatives. Andreas, what do you think the negatives of this match were? Uh, for me, it's more of like a personal opinion than an actual negative. I just think the 3-4-3 was not what was needed in this match. Uh, I think Alonso has surprised all of us in how he's been playing as a left back. And also the 3-4-3 to me just shows too much respect to this Lille side that we should probably come in thinking that we can demolish. Like, I just think when I think of the 3-4-3, I think we're being pragmatic. I think we're we're thinking straight counters, that sort of thing. I, I think of the 3-4-3 as something we would use against a Man City, perhaps, something like that. So that that's part A of my issue. And part B is I just think that while it maintains possession well, it just kills any creativity and, and ball progression by limiting our midfield to having only two players which, again, I've said this almost every week, that to me is our biggest strength. And and that like extra factor or extra person in the middle trying to break the lines or finding that killer ball, I, I don't know if it's a spacing thing, that if the 3-4-3 is too static, but I just feel like there's no creativity in the final third of the pitch. At that point, we get the ball up there, and then we get there and do no- nothing really. So, you know... I, I just think that the four in the back is the way to go for us. Again, we should give Alonso credit for what he's done. I know that's what everyone's argument is for the 3-4-3. Three, three. And on top of that, we looked so much better when we switched back to the back four later in the game. So uh, personal bias, I just don't know if the 3-4-3 three, three really needs to be deployed that often for us. I, I I didn't get to watch this game live, but, you know, I, I do understand what you're saying. I, I think the 3-4-3 three, three is probably our best bet when we go up against the big boys like City. Um, I, I mean, I know we kind of got away with a 4-3-3 three, three against Liverpool, but, you know, to to a certain extent, you know, that 3-4-3 that three, three is easily our most defensive shape. So against a team where we're going to concede a lot of possession, it makes sense. In a match like this where... You didn't really concede a lot of possession. It was just kind of a head scratcher. I mean, I remember seeing seeing the starting eleven um, and thinking to myself, like, what's going on here? And like, it's kind of like what you guys said. I'm like, Reese James is going to be playing center mid. So you know, it, it it didn't work. But like Andres said, Frank Frank decided to change it. Now, something Frank needs to change that's driving me absolutely crazy is our inability to defend set pieces. To this day, we still cannot defend a set piece effectively. We highlighted it last match. I, who was there? Who was their center forward again? Um, his name is 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 totally leaving my head right now. Who is it? I have no idea. Ugh, I, I forgot don't know his how to name. It. The young guy. <laughs> he was the young guy. Anyways, I said last week in our match preview, he loves himself a header. That's where he makes his money. That's how he makes his money. And we left them unmarked in the box for a tap-in. I mean, it, didn't, it wasn't like this unbelievably skillful header where you can just kind of tip your hat off to him. It was just a case of him completely slipping our markers and just a, 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 a virtual tap-in. I mean, that's something that has to be addressed quickly because if we progress to the later stages of, of, of the Champions League and if we want to make a push for that top four in the Premier League – 
we have to be able to defend those situations. It's it's that simple. I mean, you look at all the Chelsea teams that have had any degree of success over the years, and they have been solid defensive teams that build from the back all the way up to the front. And it's something that I don't think I don't think it's a matter of Frank not knowing how to solve this problem, or or, or Frank not really knowing what to do. I just think you know he's using the players that he has for one because we aren't the biggest team, but. He knows how to fix this. I'm completely confident in that. Like he, he played under countless managers that had defensive philosophies that were elite at what they did. So it's definitely in there. I just think I just think we need to find the right tweaking. But what do you guys think? It, First of all, the guy's name is Victor Osiman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. O Seaman. I mean, I don't know if I'm mispronouncing that, honestly. Like, that's how it's spelled. I don't want to sound ignorant. That's literally how it's spelled. But, yeah, I mean, the the like just the way that the match was the match went. Twenty. Uh, we score a goal in the twenty second minute, and then right after or ten minutes after that was the set piece goal. I mean, it's so deflating, and when we're really creating momentum, it kills everything, and. Especially when you're playing a side, playing against a side like this, where like we really should be running away with this, and like it's a it's a, it's a tie game until a brilliant goal from William. Like that, we can't be letting those things up because it's just one small mistake that completely changes the course. Because if we draw this match, we're we're out of contention for the group stages. I for getting out of the no, actually no, we have three matches left. There's still be time, but uh, my my. I wouldn't have high hopes, but, you know, those three points were so crucial. And, like, we could have lost everything or we could have just only walked away with two just because of a stupid mistake like that. Right. And with a young team, and not even just the fact that it drew the match, but you you can't have something so simple and something you can repair, which is like a set piece, again, a 50-50 air ball, basically, be something that just totally takes – the wheels off the wagon kind of thing. Like we have a young team. These guys have not gone through their whole career getting comeback wins and things like that. Like these guys are going to get rattled by something like that. So it's like shooting ourselves in the foot by not only conceding right after we scored, but just conceding in, in such a preventable fashion, right? Just, I don't know if it's implementation of what Frank's trying to teach, but we can need to get these set pieces figured out because Lil may not be the most physical side we face, but I'm sure that relegation sides in the Premier League are watching this and are thinking this is the best chance we will have all game at beating Chelsea, and it may come to bite us in the ass. Scratch that. I think every team is thinking that in the Premier League. I mean, we we talked about it so much last season because this is a problem also that kind of carried over. It's a problem that Frank inherited, not not created. I mean, I just want that to be put out there, first of all. But I mean, this is this is something that you know, it, it just it, it just can't continue because, like Andre said, teams are gonna look at us and, and think, oh my God, we could feast on these guys. And in a league like the Premier League, and this is my main point, like the Premier League has more headed goals than any other league in the world, especially offset pieces. And that's I don't even have to look at the numbers. I don't have to find a stat to prove it. I mean, that's just a given. Team certain teams in the Premier League are built off scoring off of set pieces. We played Brighton last week. I think Brighton had 13 goals in the Premier League last season just from set pieces. That's that's as much as a center. That's more. How much did Glenn Murray have 
14 or 15, I mean, that's another center forward. So, I mean, it, it's a it's a viable option and a realistic option for other teams to attack the big boys with. And, you know, teams are going to march into Stamford Bridge, and yeah, maybe they're not going to be able to break our press. Yeah, maybe they're not going to be able to keep us out of the back of the net because, I mean, our build-up play has just been fantastic. But they're going to think all we need is one chance to get back into a game like this. And, and, and you know, to be fair, Leo wasn't awful on the night, but they're also not a great team. And if, if we're going to keep allowing, you know, these semi-decent teams to, to hurt us off set pieces, I mean, God help us when we play, you know, a, someone else on their day that could net two or three or four or, or get that many set piece opportunities even. Just the odds of I feel like the odds of teams scoring when we defend set pieces are just it's it's kind of scary. It's worrying for me. I kind of hold my breath every time we concede in and around our box. But is it not you're saying that this is something that Frank inherited, but is it isn't this not something that he he's able to fix through just a different method of of marking, like take away the zonal marking and move to like because I, I don't remember any time during his playing time where any of the teams played with zonal marking am i am i wrong i just uh, well they never needed to because they had size yeah our That's teams true, were yeah. huge i mean yeah. at, at any point we had carvalho terry ivanovic uh, lampard himself drogba, drogba balak yeah. like we had some giants like these right. dudes were freaks of nature in terms of size and athleticism at that time so we we are now at at a point in our team where i think like at any point our squad may have three players around the 6 foot mark but nobody really pushing yeah. height outside of Tammy or or maybe once RLC comes back like everyone is pushing maybe 61 6 feet like alonzo might be 62 tomori i think is 6 foot christensen 61 it, it's one of those things that rudiger is also not that imposing so when you play those bottom of the table proper Brexit sides, those guys are, you know, two thirty six three. <laughs> right. And so it's one of those things. I, I'm sure it's easier said than done to find a solution. But I mean, there was a picture of in the Super Cup where Conte was man marking <laughs> Van Dyke. And I mean, Van Dyke didn't score on us. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I think man, personally speaking, I think man on man marking, you're more of a nuisance on the offensive player when you do that, because you can just get in his way. You can just kind of slow him down a little bit. So even if you don't win the header, you're an obstruction to him finding the header. So that's just my opinion on it. I, so I'm Again, I'm not I'm not a manager though. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you never say, know. Andres, let me just say more, real quick. Sorry, uh, that RLC when he comes back is probably going to get a lot of playing time just out of necessity because of that height, because of how much we lack and just Thank what you. he would bring. Yeah, we said that last year yeah. too with sorry. Yeah. Oh wow, it's a okay. it's a great point. <laughs> nice. No, no, no. You're you're really spot on because I mean. We only have really three players that are even close to six foot and, you know, in our starting 11 right now. And Tomori's not the tallest center back in the world. Yeah, he's athletic and he's great when I love him, but he's not the biggest center back. And then, you know, if he has Christensen next to him, there's not a lot of physicality there. So, you know, I think I think a combination of getting Rudy back, also adding that, you know, six, three, six, four foot frame of Loftus cheek in the box on every set piece is definitely going to help us. 
but you know, in terms of going man for man now, it's just it's impossible. And that's and that's the thing, you know, you can't you can't put Jorginho one v one against you know another center defensive mid. You can't put it, 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 every time I think of going man v uh, man on man with Chelsea on set pieces, I think of that one meme that was going around of Conte guarding Van Dyke, like right before a corner. And Van Dyke is literally maybe a foot and a half taller than N'Golo Conte and has another 110 <laughs> pounds. But, you know, it's just we're too small and, and we're too soft. And, and I know we're going to get on to Southampton later, but, I mean, this is something that I wanted to bring up eventually. I think now is a good time. You know, just to give you an example, Southampton against us, they won 23 out of their 26 tackles that they attempted across the whole match. We only won 19 out of 30. That's 63% tackle success rate compared to Southampton's 88%. Like, we are getting beat up physically. That's a fact. It has something to do with our size. It has something to do with our youth. But I feel like, you know, especially going into next season, I might be thinking too far out, but I think we're just one enforcer away, a.k.a. hashtag bring back amps. I would love to bring back Mm -hmm. Ethan Ampadu for that reason specifically. Throw him into midfield the last 10, 15 minutes of a match. He could throw some tackles around. He could crack some skulls. And and, and, and he could honestly calm the game or slow the game down for us. Because when when we concede pressure, I mean, we really look up against it still, even though, even though it's looking better. But I just think having a player like Ampadu in there that will throw in a heavy challenge and basically won't take any bullshit in the midfield would just completely transform our team. I mean, we, we do have Kovacic. I mean, in this game against Southampton, Kovacic got like seven minutes of playing time. So that that is a guy who's not the tallest. And yes, I'm biased because I love the guy, but he's a stout dude for, for his size, and he will put in the hard tackle when necessary. Uh, Ampadu, yeah, Ampadu goes in extremely hard. Like, totally agree there. But Ampadu's not the biggest guy either. He's like six foot 170. So... Yeah. Again, yeah, goes, that, yeah. I don't know how that helps us in the air, which is our biggest issue. Again, we're the team that's holding on to the ball 60, 70 percent of the time anyway. So to me, the tackle numbers aren't as big of an issue, I guess, whenever we're playing your Lills or your Southamptons, because we should have a lot less tackles than the other team. Like that yeah. shouldn't be how we get the ball, I guess. Dude, I, don't, so, I don't even think Ethan Ampadu is uh, six feet tall, honestly. No, I think That's, he's just about there. But the, the, the it, issue on I paper, have is he's it not might be a Kyler punched. Murray situation, but on paper he's <laughs> six foot. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it, he's not getting playing time, so like it doesn't hurt to recall him. And you know, I was I was literally looking that up. I was looking to see if he was playing at uh, Leipzig, but he hasn't been. Yeah, he hasn't played at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, that would be a great callback. So let's get into the positives now. Uh, Zach, I'll start off with you. Obviously, uh, you want to talk about that William goal, right? I do. So, you know, this is huge for us because he hasn't been great going into the Leo match. You know, he's. I think we kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, he's getting back in shape. He's getting match fit. And I think the Leo match was the first match where he had no excuses. Like Frank gave him the start. He gave him the platform on the European stage away from home to be that guy for us on the night. And, uh, I mean, him scoring that goal just told you everything you needed to know. It, Willian looks like he's up for the challenge this year. You know, he, he looks like he's ready to take responsibility. And I think the performance in the Southampton match also backed that up as well. I'll get to that a little bit later. But 
for me, I mean, this goal was a Kickstarter for an amazing week for him. Just all the way around, two solid performances. He he won us the game in Europe, and uh, and 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 he assisted our first goal against Southampton. So there's really no complaints uh, from you know from me at least on on the way William's been playing. I think I think a lot of the criticism is um, unwarranted at this point. You know, he, he had an incredible week and. We talk about Pulisic being left out of the squad, and like this is this could pose a negative for Pulisic, but at the same time, this could also be an example for him. Like like this is the standard that he has to hit. You know, Willian got one or two games, and then boom, he's back in form, and he's and he's you know contributing. Where Pulisic had a run of four or five games, didn't necessarily hit the ground running, but also didn't necessarily stink up the joint. But he didn't set the world alight like Willian did. And that's why Willian's staying in the squad and getting the praise from Frank and why Pulisic, you know, has unfortunately taken that bench role, even though, you know, he had a good showing against Southampton. So that was a big positive for me. Just just seeing Willian perform again, it's going to be so valuable as the season goes on. And I'm start, I, you know, you could see shades of that 14-15 Willian where he literally put the team on his back and looked like he was the only player that gave a shit that season. Andres, what about you? Uh, so I talked about how I didn't like the initial lineup as my negative, but to flip flop in my positive is Frank's in-game management again. I think he that was my positive last week too. Um, I think he saw the flaws not only in our side but in Lil's side as well. And so not only didn't did he switch back to a back forward or chase that goal at the end of the game, but he also noticed that Lil's defenders were not handling being dribbled at very well. So what does Frank do? He brings on our best dribbler, in my opinion, in Callum Hudson-Odoi and just tells him to go at these guys. Literally, you could tell that that was the exact game plan because every time Cho got the ball, he was putting his head down and going at these guys. And yeah, I mean, the, go- the goal came from Cho essentially dribbling on the side, found a lofted ball across to William, who had a fantastic finish. But even then, after the goal, you know, after the, the 2-1 was set, he brought on my boy, Mateo Kovacic, hashtag Kovacrew, to retain the lead. And in those last, like, 10, 15 minutes, there was, like, zero worry of what was going to happen, like, how this game was going to end. We were completely just controlling the field. The ball was ours, just kind of just keeping possession, cycling the ball here and there. So uh, I thought Frank made the perfect call mid-game to – to make the changes for the immediate need of a goal and then to make the changes to just see out the rest of the game. Andreas, wow. Um, I think you're a fake hashtag Kova crew by not saying that he's the best dribbler on the team. You think Cho's better than him? Oh, man. I, I, I guess it's one of those things where I think, in my head, I think Cho is the better dribbler just because he's around the box. And, and, you know, he he opens himself up for a shot with a dribbling move. So I guess his dribbling leads to more of a direct output or impact in the result. Obviously, in possession, Kovacic is fantastic at dribbling out of pressure and that sort of thing. And I he's by far the best in our midfield at that. But overall, when it comes to, like, beating a defender for the purpose of scoring or, or assisting, mm-hmm. I, I give that to Cho. Two different styles of dribbling. I, I think Kovacic is honestly our best player at like bringing the ball up, like being able to be composed and bringing the ball up from like our side of the pitch to the other side. But yeah, I mean, 
obviously, like I I, I want to see a little bit more of him, but uh, I don't know any any final thoughts you guys want to have on that match before we get into Southampton. We have a tough, tough matchup against Ajax next. <laughs> That's looking gonna be forward to it. They they looked really good la- their last match, didn't they? Didn't they smash on uh, Valencia? The two best academies going at it. Pretty Ooh. much, man. Uh, yeah. they, they're they're scoring a lot and they're not conceding much. And yeah, it's it's gonna be a good one. All right, let's get into the Southampton matchup. This was one of the greatest matches of the season, honestly. We we were able to put up four goals and only concede one bullshit goal, just one. So that was good. Uh, go through the starting eleven. Kepa and goal again. Alonzo, Tomori, Zuma, and Dave. Jorginho, Conte, and Mount, and then a front line of Willie, Cho, and Tammy, uh, and Pulisic on the squad. Eventually subbing in, getting an assist. Loved that. But before we get into that. Uh, read through the stats real quick. We had 13 shots, including seven on target, 57% possession. Overall, it was a very comfortable and clinical match from us, one that I haven't seen us do in quite some time. Do you think this was more on us being good or was Southampton playing poorly? Uh, I guess, I guess that kind of gets into the negatives. <laughs> Zach, what do you think? Again, I mean, it, it wasn't off a set piece, but it's a cheap-ass goal to concede. I mean, yeah, Jan Valerie's had a, had a stormer. Like, he, he was incredible on the day. But he literally ran through our whole left side, including Cho, Jorginho, Marcus Alonso, and Mason Mount. And, I mean, how a naive young fullback is able to do that you know, uh, in a game that we were so comfortably controlling is frustrating. And, you know, that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. Um, but, you know, that it, it, it just pissed me off because they didn't have a look in for the rest of the game. Like they didn't threaten us the rest of the match, even when we seemed like we were up, like when they were really pushing for it towards the end of that match. I didn't feel worried. I didn't feel like we were ever going to concede another one. And uh, the fact that we just let up a cheap goal, especially after I talked shit about Danny Ings last week, uh, doesn't doesn't really uh, doesn't really make me too happy. But you know, it, it was a great performance overall. And yes, Southampton are a bit shit this year, um, but you could only beat who's in front of you, and it was convincing. So um, you know, in hindsight, that really was such a non them scoring a goal just was just such a non-issue in the grand scheme of things but the fact is we we have to analyze that and we have to look at that and there were a few shaky moments at the back um and and that's something that that, you know needs to be addressed again i mean i i feel like i just keep jumping and, and repeating myself i sound like a broken record but it is what it is our attack doesn't need any help really i mean we're free flowing. We build out. We, we we build up our attacking play brilliantly. Our high press is very effective, but it's defensively where you know if we don't finish in the top four this season, that's what we're gonna point. That's exactly what we're gonna look at. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean that goal was was I don't know, man. It's one of those things, and I know. I guess. Sam, forgive me for taking over here for a second, but I know at Chelsea, CFC was asking, why can't we keep a clean sheet? 
Um, he's asking whether it's formation or, or, or lack of Rudiger and Emerson's presence. For me, I, at this point, that mistake of they just kind of all stared at Valerie. I think, for one, it's familiarity of who you're playing with. You know, you have Mount is new to the team. Uh, Cho is, is re-emerging into this team. I think it's a mix of of knowing what your teammates are going to do, just that kind of telepathic connection, as well as maybe just the fact that we've been flip-flopping so many formations that the players might be slightly confused as to whose responsibility it was because it just seemed like like it was like a glitch, like in a video game where something just suddenly like forgot what it was supposed to do in a program. And, and Valerie just slid through and was able to put the cross in. So for this specific goal, I don't think formation would have made the difference. I just think it was one of those things where they all looked at each other as like, who was supposed to do that? It, and, it was and, soft. It was yeah. just so soft. Take a foul. So, Knock so, him on his ass. <laughs> but then that gives up a set piece, and we know what happens with that. So uh, be careful what you wish for with that one. I, I just think in this case, it was one of those things where it's just a, a, a lack of concentration. And I think that's what Frank said. And, and that's been our biggest issue defensively. It's either been through set pieces or in transition when we're getting countered on, where just one person steps out of line or – or misreads what they're supposed to do in a situation and it puts the rest of the team in a poor spot. So, yeah, I mean, that that whole thing just made Zuma look so bad when it wasn't even on him because Valerie should have never even made it that far. So then Zuma's caught out of position because the cross comes in and, and Ings beats him to it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that goal was just dumb. It was dumb. Um, my negative, again, is... is there was not not that much to be negative about or, or things to point out in this game. Just again, personal bias as an American fan. I just thought Lampard had every chance to give Pulisic at least 30 minutes of playing time in this match. Um, we reacted extremely well to their goal and scored a third goal before the half ended. So it was 3-1 going into halftime. Second half starts. We're still completely dominating. It really doesn't look like Southampton is going to do anything. And instead of doing an early sub to get Pulisic some minutes, some playing time in the Premier League, he waits till the 80th minute. Pulisic literally got 10 minutes of playing time. So I was just bummed out about that. He definitely took over and did what he needed in those 10 minutes. But it's like, man, like if we're asking this guy to, to perform when he's given the chance or to do all these things, like at least let him give him the chance to. In 10 minutes, it's tough to to really put your stamp in the in the match. Luckily for us, he did that. But it's one of those things where if you want to truly give someone a chance to succeed, you have to give them a run. So I, I was just a little bummed out that he only got 10 minutes. But I he made the, the best of it. Sorry. Go ahead, Zach. I, I actually wasn't too fussed that he didn't get more minutes just because I kind of caught myself in the same days that I think Frank was in during the match. I, you know, at some point, I just kind of zoned out. And a solid 15 minutes went by, and I was just like, oh, shit, we're already, like, in the 74th, 75th minute. Oh, Pulisic's coming on. Nice. You know, I I, I, don't, think, I don't think Frank is just going to give playing time at this point in the season, especially now that he's kind of sort of has his squad figured out and the way he wants to play. I just don't think he's going to be giving playing time just to give playing time. I think he's going to make subs only if he needs to from here on out. So changing formations, getting fresh legs. 
going to more more defensive or more attacking. I mean, he's not just going to throw a player on just to give him minutes. I mean, he tried to do that with Billy Gilmore, and we kind of saw how that worked out. So um, I, I'm not too fussed about the Pulisic situation. But he did look a lot brighter. When he came on, he looked pretty good. So, you know, that's something that we could look forward to. Now maybe that makes Frank Lampard look be a little bit more confident. That slip past Amici was filthy. I know a lot of people are saying it was luck and, oh, he wasn't looking and the game was killed off. Nobody saw that pass except Pulisic. So suck it. Like it, it, was, <laughs> it was a nice fucking pass. And, 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 and he looked good. So it's something that we can look forward to and hopefully something that he could build on and hopefully gives him a little bit more confidence to perform later on. I'm going to be nitpicky, and Zach, you're going to kill me for saying this, but again, there's just a lot of things I saw from Tammy's game. I mean, he did have a he had a goal, and he did have overall, I think, a pretty good game, but um, this possessed the ball like three or four times. His passing, it was he had a 40% pass completion rate so and also you know he had he had that one goal which was you know kind of like it, it, that took a lot of skill obviously to make that but uh three other shots he should have had a couple more and it's i'm not really necessarily saying he had a bad game because he had a good game but there's just a lot of things that there's a lot of moments that i feel like if he were a better player that he would for sure put away more chances but i mean Again, this is nitpicking because I am talking about the guy who's the leading goal scorer in the Premier League right now. Uh, but <laughs> he could. There's just a lot of chances that I think that he should be able to convert that he hasn't been. But um, he does yeah, a lot of ahead. things brilliantly, and then he also has these moments of like I wouldn't say madness, but he has these moments that remind you how inexperienced he actually exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah, he's a young guy with not that yeah. much experience. Uh, and I think over time he will be able to develop those kind of skills that I'm, ta- I'm talking about and, mm. you know, repetition, whatever. But uh, is, yeah, is he the leading scorer in all of our career modes and in real life? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know who my leading scorer is because I think I've scored like four goal- goals total, <laughs> like in a total still of like get, still getting used to like the game 12 play, games. Huh? I don't know. Man. I think something I think uh, maybe for a. Uh, for the international break, we should all try to finish our first season of uh, on manager mode for Chelsea and then talk about how we finished and different stats and compare. <laughs> you know, that you might be good. that off air, Sam. You know my fiance listens to the pot, right? <laughs> if she knows who you are, she knows that you're going to be finishing a whole season uh, this week anyway. anyway. <laughs> yeah. If she really knows you, if you're going to get married, she has to know this. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... I mean, you, you mentioned that Pulisic uh, Batshuayi connection. Obviously, from their old days at Dortmund, they they played a couple. They played a season together um, back when he was loaned out there. Is this? I mean, do, do, do they actually both look really decent, or was that game just completely killed off at that point that you know that they were able to make something like that happen so so quickly? Zach, what do you think? Or Andreas, you go first. Yeah, I think that they just. They played well, man. Like you're coming off the bench, you're cold, you're going into a game that's already kind of people are warm, they get got a feel for the game, and you as a duo back assistant and goal, like that's pretty good. And and Pulisic had moments of brilliance. Like again, ten minutes, but he seemed confident on the ball. I think 
one of his biggest issues so far has been the timing of what he wants to do. I think he's he's facing teams that are better set up defensively. So sometimes he's either too eager to make the pass or too eager to make a move. And, and there was that slight delay where he made a touch backwards before playing through to Mishi. Like these are little things that he's going to adapt to. And and I just thought he had a pretty good pretty good ten minutes. And for Mishi, Mishi has something like out of his nine or ten Chelsea goals, like eight of them or seven of them are off the bench. Like this guy is this guy is what we thought Giroud was going to be as a super sub. And that's been the one consistent thing about him. We know, you know, I, I've talked a lot about how managers may not like his like training regimen or, or the fact that he cares more about his social media game than kind of ironing out some of his kind of weaknesses. But if we have Tammy playing 70 minutes each week and Tammy is, is putting in his goal here and there, and then on top of that, our, our sub is going to add another one to the match. Like we're in a pretty good position. So I, I don't want to kind of take away from their short uh, cameos because Southampton got worked. Like that's just, that's props to us. Not, not downplaying because of the opposition. They looked good, man. <laughs> like, like they really did. They didn't look like world beaters. They didn't look unbelievable. I'm not going to overreact. But, I mean, these are two guys that were just kind of waiting for them to have their moments. I mean, they're they're probably the two players that are on the periphery that I'm looking at thinking, okay, it's going to come eventually. It's just a matter of when, not if. And and I think we're starting to see it with Michi. I think, I think something that's different with Michi this season than last season or seasons past is that I don't think people are questioning whether or not he's a starter anymore. I think we're starting to accept him for who he is, and that's a a role player, a squad player, somebody that we can rely on that could play cut matches that's good for a goal in basically any cut match that we play him in, and someone that could come off the bench, give us 10 to 15 minutes of, uh, of chaos in the box because the ball finds him in the penalty area. His movement's pretty decent. And and he's a natural finisher, and that's what you want at the end of games. If you get pacey wingers out wide at the end of a match that's virtually finished, and you know you get them to play somewhat in between the lines and have Michi running off a back shoulder just like that, I mean, that's cash money if, as far as I'm concerned for the rest of the season. So, you know, it's... I'm 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 excited. It's something. It's it's just yet. Yeah, it's another thing to look forward to. And we say this about every position, mm. but this is just one more thing that we can add to the list of okay, we we got a we got a taste of what Michi could offer. But I think now we're just accepting it. Like the, he is who he is, and he he's not the finished article yet. But I think we have a backup striker for the next few years if we could keep him happy at Chelsea. And, and if he's down for it, of course, because that's a big thing too. The other thing that this really does is it makes me really excited to watch us play, you know, the, in the domestic uh, cup matches against like the lower division teams. Cause then, you know, we have so many great young guys that honestly, I enjoy watching those matches where they get a run out. Then when we're playing like, you know, those, those world beaters, uh, and we have to play our best, our best eleven. Like I'd, I'd much, much rather see like our younger guys how they play. I mean, that's just how it is this season, at least. You know, I mean, what do you guys think? I think we all enjoy a good lower league romping. 
<laughs> I mean, not, I doesn't even need to be a romping. I just want to see these guys play. Like, no, it, it needs to be games... a romping. Oh yeah, I mean that would make it much better, obviously. Like, but uh, I mean, I know I know how you how you like a good romping, Zach. Every yeah. Once in a while. Luckily, luckily we're drawn against lower side Manchester United in the next <laughs> round of the Carabao Cup. So, so hopefully another, another one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> another chance at a seven seven to one or whatever that score against Grimsby was. That was awesome. Okay, so we got a question, actually, from uh, a new listener. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Did, we yeah. haven't even gotten to our positives. Oh, really? Yeah. No way. Okay, yeah. Let's get wow. into the positives, Andres, then. Andres the Enforcer. Yeah, hey. Andres, you want to take my, take my spot? That's fine. I'm done. I'm just saying, you know, I know Zach is going to talk about him, and I talked about him last week, and we rarely talk about this guy. So, Zach, why don't you start us off? giving props to uh, one of the, the standouts this weekend. Again, back-to-back positives goes to William. Uh, he was a man of the match. It's that simple. Um, two shots, three key passes, an assist, one three tackles, 78% pass completion rate. And, uh, and, and I know that that last number, the, the, 78 pass, the 78% pass completion rate was – not that high and it doesn't seem that high at first because it isn't but if you look at how many average passes we had in our build-ups it was four so 78 percent is pretty fucking efficient if we're only making these a uh, little four pass build-ups or four pass counters look i mean the guy is exactly what you expect a proper professional footballer uh, or uh, he's exactly what you expect out of a professional footballer. You know, he, he runs his ass off. He creates chances. He's committed to the team effort. And you could tell by the way he plays that he's committed to the team effort. Uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of over the haters and, and Andre, Andres, I hope you're listening because he looked really fucking good. And, and, and I think everybody knows it now. And, and even Frank knows it. And he said after the game, of course he said after the game, William's been the best players the last five matches. Like, okay, he's he's been really good the last two, but still, he's phenomenal. And I remember when he first came to the club, you know, we all knew that he had all the technique in the world and that, you know, with the ball at his feet, he could pretty much do anything. But the thing that impressed me the most, especially when he first came to Chelsea, was his work rate. And and, and I think we saw that when Mourinho came. And and he utilized Willian as essentially a workhorse, as, as almost like a defensive winger in a way. And I know it sounds kind of crazy to say, but, you know, the ball went to the left. Hazard was free to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Willian tucked in and he put in the hard yards on the weak side. I mean, that's just the fact. Um, and, and I think we saw shades of that in this match. And I remember there was one play specifically where I, we lost the ball just outside of the 18. Southampton played a long ball down the flank, and Willian must have busted at least a 65 or 70-yard sprint to run all the way back, not to win the ball, but just to retain his shape. And that's the kind of effort that I think the young players could take a look at, the Chos, the Mounts, the Pulisics, players of that certain you know, similar ability can look at and be like, okay, if, I, if, if it's not my day offensively, I can do this defensively to still help the team. And I think that's what those kids need to look at as, you know, they could put up the numbers, they could score the goals, they could pull out the flashy moves and the fancy dribbles and the fancy handshakes. But if they're not going to be able to be willing to put in the hard yards and they're not going to cut it at this level. And I think Willian, who hasn't been a player who put up insane numbers in his career because he's just not a numbers guy, but he has made a living 
off of that work ethic. You know what you're going to get out of it. When you have a committed William, you're getting a 7 out of 10 every night. And I and, and that's something that the young players could look at and and sort of model their game after. So my big positive of the game was William. I think right now he's virtually undroppable, you know, a, a, a match winner against Leo in the Champions League, a man of the match performance at the weekend. I mean, he has to be the first name on the team sheet when we play Newcastle after the international break. Yeah, <laughs> easily. Um, I, I was going to point out that run. I think that maybe that's one of the adjustments that the coaching staff has made because knowing that our fullbacks as of right now are a weakness, the wingers need to make sure they're doing that sort of thing. Uh, William wasn't there for the Manchester United game in the first week, which makes me think like if we had our one of our wingers putting in that effort, how many of those counterattacks actually would have panned out for Manchester United? Because I'm pretty sure in that run, William ran past Aspie, who was the one kind of going towards the ball, and William was running back past him for cover. So it's one of those things where we're making adjustments defensively, and William, for once, is taking the coaching because that's been my biggest criticism of him is that he does, to me, under Conte and sorry, he was doing what he wanted not what the manager was asking from the team. So that's a huge positive. And yeah, I, I mean, he's shutting me up. I, I, I've i already booked my flight to, to the River Jordan to get baptized as well under <laughs> my Lord and Savior, William, uh, mm-hmm. so that I can too f- yeah. reach my full potential. But um, You know exactly what to say to excite Zach. Yeah, that's you just, do. Exactly you just, just mention the homeland. That's all you got to do. <laughs> But my positive is is a big team one. It's the fact that we scored three goals in the first half. I mean, this Chelsea side is currently third in scoring the Premier League behind Manchester City and Liverpool. Like, that is so exciting. Like, last season, <laughs> I, I spoke about, you know, depending on one single individual to, like, to carry your whole team is, is kind of a, a trend of old. And, and teams like Liverpool are now able to beat Messi's Barcelona because the collective is better than one godlike player. And, and this isn't a slight at hazard or anything like that, but because of how good and how important he was, our other players were too shy or unwilling to, to flex their own muscles and skills. Like, yes, Tammy individually is, is scoring a lot, but he's not the only one doing it recently. The, this game, like, this current Chelsea side has goals from a lot of different places. And in this game, we had four goal scorers uh, out of four goals. And we could have had more uh, easily could have had more. Uh, I think that at one point Cho could have had a goal or two. Um, Off of a ridiculous Willie, like William was at a standstill. And then it's just like, I have nobody to pass it to. I'm just going to beat these four guys and lay it off the Cho for a one V one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there was there was those. I think Pulisic had a good shot at one point too. Like the the goals are going to come from a lot of different places, and I think that's what makes uh, teams so hard to de- to defend against. You know, the the cities, the Liverpool's, and, and for us to be in that same category is is incredible at this stage. We we had been talking about darkest like the worst case scenarios and and where the heck are the goals going to come from. And, and now we have a team where, where players are setting each other up and, and it's fluid and, hell, we have a striker that's finishing and that people want to pass it to. And even our strikers off the bench are scoring too. Like, it is exciting times for this offense. Like, I have not seen 
so something so fluid out of this Chelsea side, honestly, since like Ancelotti's championship, like champ, uh, league winning side is what I'm trying to say, where we were beating teams six nothing, eight nothing, and it was everyone scoring, not just Drogba. Like that's the kind of thing that that I see in this team, and and that's incredible. You know, last season against a, a bottom table side, we would be lucky to score one goal, and here we are scoring four. And they were lucky to not concede more. I mean, you hit the nail right on the fucking head. I mean, what makes Liverpool and City and, you know, uh, the Bayern Munichs and, I mean, you just think of the, the PSGs of the world. What makes them so entertaining and so fun to watch and so appealing is the fact that they could spontaneously combust offensively. Like, they can pull three or four goals and a half at any given moment. And all scored would, by different people. <laughs> all scored by yeah, exactly. And, and and that's the key here. It's you know we don't have just one or two players that can that, that can affect the match. You know we have Mount, we have Tammy Abraham, Cho's coming back or Cho's back. We have Willian who's in form now. We have Pulisic who hasn't even seen the pitch. We have RLC who we who who, who still hasn't even started training with the squad yet. Like there's so many players and so many. There's so many options that we have offensively. Like, Don't forget I, N'Golo Conte. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now N'Golo Conte too. See, that's and the Jorginho. thing. Like, we have an ability to spontaneously combust. Like we can bust out two or three goals a half. Jorginho Nor- nearly had two in two games the last yeah. two matches. Yeah. And it, I'm looking it, at right now at the the top scores right now in the in the Premier League. Uh, just looking at like Liverpool and Chelsea, where their players are at. So like the the sixth highest goal scorer is Sadio Mane, who is uh, Liverpool's leading scorer with five goals, and then their second highest scorer is Mo Salah with four goals, which is how many goals Mason Mount has right now. You know, so like he would be the second highest scorer on Liverpool too right now. It's just how they spread it out. It's crazy. I, I, I'm I'm not gonna like you know I, I think everybody should know this. I'm not expecting us to keep up this goal-scoring streak. I think the real test of this team will be when we stop scoring. How are we going to pull out results when we don't play well? Because, I mean, we're getting results now, but we're earning them. Like, we're playing well. You look at Liverpool. Liverpool has been playing like shit the last month and a half, but they're still eking out results. Oh, my God. That last match, that penalty was so annoying. Okay, that's a load of bullshit. (laughs) Why the fuck does VAR exist? Uh, we're not gonna have this. T- we're not gonna have this. Yeah, this let's right let's now. skip Again. the AR. Yeah. It didn't happen in our match. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's. Should we get into that question now, Andreas? Yeah. Is it okay to move on? You have my blessing. I know. I know you wanted to hear Zach talk about Willian secretly, so that's why you didn't want to skip that part. So, uh, we got a question from a new listener at High Plains Moron. Okay. Uh, he, <laughs> His words, not mine. I'm not calling him a moron. That's his name. Uh, so he says, I'm a new Chelsea fan since the Pulisic signing. So uh, welcome. Uh, he says, just leading up, uh, sorry, just reading up on how Chelsea hires and fires managers. Do you think Roman would sack Lampard if Pochettino became available? So obviously, and he also added something about how he's like, I'm I'm, I'm uh, so overhearing about all this uh, Pulisic not playing nonsense. So, you know, hey, what's up? How are you doing, High Plains Moron? Nice to have you onto the show. But, uh, yeah, as he mentioned, obviously Chelsea, we have a long history of hiring and firing managers quickly. 
But, I mean, with the way that it's been going with Frank, if, and obviously, as much as we hate Tottenham, Pochettino is undoubtedly one of the greatest managers out there. And if he becomes available, like, I think deep down inside, we all wish that it would have happened a season earlier. So maybe we could have gotten him for this season. But now that we've seen, we've gotten a little taste of Frank, what do you think, Andreas? Is do you think it's possible that Roman would sack Lampard? Uh, Lampard, well, no, you know? No, no, no. no. <laughs> that was a lot of buildup for that for that question. For that yeah, answer. I know, no. and I don't understand why there was a buildup for that question. Okay, I saw this floating around Twitter this week, and it drove me crazy. Why would we fire Frank, guys? No, obviously now, no. That the answer is definitely no at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so like I, I get it. Potches, you know, pro- he, once Spurs, you know, sack him, which is going to happen, it's inevitable. Once Spurs do finally pull the trigger and sack him, yes, he's going to be the hottest managerial uh, piece of available property on the market. Probably the most available piece of property on the market in world football, right? Yeah. Fair enough. Since Klopp. Fair enough. Since Klopp and Pep yeah. have been available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. But. You know, again, I'm going to raise a question. What has Frank done wrong? And that, that's, that, that's, that was exactly my point. Yeah. At this point, from what I've seen so far, I don't see any reason. And that's why I said, you know, if it was at the beginning of the season, if something had, had if they had, if this, if Tottenham had been having, having this season that they're having right now, last mm-hmm. year, and we still ended up sacking Sorry. I deep down inside would th- have hoped that we had signed him and over Frank, but now seeing what Frank's doing, like I think the point is that he hasn't done anything warrants being sacking. You know, it's not it's not that I would rather have Frank Lampard yeah. as my manager and he than won't. Pochettino. Oh, of and course, he won't. yeah, what? What? And I think I I think the way he started this season, Frank, like we all knew that this season was a pass. But I think the way we started this season, it's not only proving that okay, Frank's a decent manager and he can make the right adjustments and pick the right teams every week. It's more than that. I think Frank is changing the fabric of our club, the whole philosophy from the top down. I mean, it's going to be a complete rebuild. We brought right. in Peter Check. Guys like Michael Ballack are coming to kick it at the training ground. Ashley Cole's winning trophies with the U15s. Joe Cole's starting to get involved with the youth system. You know, it's just it's all coming together right now and and it's all peaking right now. And I think the amount of talent we have in the squad, you know, across Every player, not just the youth players, but, you know, across the veterans that we have, across guys like Pulisic and Ampadu, who didn't necessarily get raised through our youth system, but, you know, are still young enough to to have huge upside. I think this is just going to completely change our philosophy as a club moving forward. I don't think we're going to be going after the big names every summer. I think we're only going to be going after those names when we need them. And I think it's the same thing with managers. I think with Frank, it's longevity now. It's not a matter of just getting through this season and, okay, we'll get him a couple players and then the real test is next season. No, I think Frank has done more than enough to prove this season that he deserves the project, not just one or two seasons. He deserves three, four, five seasons on the spin, similar to Pochettino, before you know taking a step back in the club going, okay, let's reanalyze. I think the club needed— Pochettino's too good to have to, to 
go through a project like this. Like he should be immediately put into a place where he would be able he's to be too good for Spurs. Season. He's been oh, yeah, too good for, for sure. Spurs. For years now he's been too good for Tottenham and he should have gone to Real Madrid last year and and yeah. this season is proving that. Imagine might, him at Real Madrid. Still, the opportunity's still there. I don't know if uh, Zidane's seat is that secured. Well, yeah, yeah. they're they're ahead of Barca in the table, so they're they're first in the in the league, but irrelevant. Like to me, it, <laughs> this is a, a two part thing. Like Pochettino, for one, Spurs would be stupid if they're the ones firing him. If anything, if I'm Daniel Levy or whatever, I rather sell this whole entire squad before I get rid of Pochettino. He is your biggest asset. The fact that last season and the season before he was able to get you top four with that squad, like I think it's finally coming down. Like. No, the issues have always been there. He's just been really good at masking them. And and that's pr- all props to Potts. But but here's the thing with Frank Lampard. For one, Lampard and Roman, Roman Abramovich have a very friendly relationship. And I think that we've only been able to say that once with other managers in Mourinho uh, when he came back for his second stint. So for one, we'll know, unlike other times, if and when Frank's time is, is coming to an end. And it, I think it's going to take way much, like more bad stuff happening than every other manager. If we would have lost to Man United 4-0 under Villas-Boas, he would have gotten fired the, the next week. So I, I truly think that he's going to be given the time and patience to to really see this project through, like Zach said. And, and you know, Roman's big dream has always been that Chelsea would eventually look like Barcelona in the t- in the way that the team is a well-oiled self-sustained machine and and Lampard under a transfer ban nonetheless has been able to reimagine what this team looks like has actually changed the perspective of our academy players is not using Chelsea's academy as a stepping stool to other clubs in Europe but more of a oh no there is a pathway to the first team we've I've never seen this many young players like get a new contract without being shipped out on loan the next week. So so there's that. There's the fact that he's also taken a team that lost 61% of its goal contributions in one player, and we are third in scoring in this league. Our defense, yeah, our defense has been leaky. But again, he came in and he's like, oh, here's your tools. He got rid of David Luiz, which was a controversial move, turned out to be a good move. We now have... Alonzo playing out of his mind. Like we never thought that he was going to be a key contributor. Emerson. I mean, yeah, Emerson stepping up even more so than he did at the end of last season. There's, there's a lot of things that you can credit Lampard. Part of it is, is giving these players confidence, maybe loosening things up a little bit into what they're doing in the pitch. But there's just the factor again, he's a club legend. Like you might as well lose all your fans if you fire him for just one bad thing it's just everything he's done so far has been on a positive trend and and we're in fifth place right now just because of goal differential like that is unreal like a lot of people had us in like 12th or 8th like these journalists are gonna have to bite their tongue because they underestimated what this coaching staff could do and, and even what our players in our current roster could do so yeah, there, there's zero chance that today we would fire someone like Lampard for the shiny object that is Pochettino. Plus, Pochettino's done play, uh, like coaching under a GM or, or whatever the role, sporting director, who's not going to listen to him like Daniel Levy. 
Like if, if Poch moves on, he's going to go to your Real Madrid's or your Bayern's or a team that's going to say, what do you need to take me to the next level? Because he's he's done doing the projects. He did it yeah. at, at Southampton. He's been more than patient with Tottenham. The fact that he asked for, for transfers, he didn't get a single transfer all of last season because of the new stadium. And now he got like One. two players and One he and lost. One is alone. And he lost uh, his starting right back in Trippier, like without a, a true replacement. Like I'm sure his patience is done with Tottenham and Chelsea's way of, of doing transfers isn't the smoothest either. So I just can't see him being a match for our club anyway, as much as I would love a manager like him. So, yeah, I mean, do we have that history? Sure. But I really do think that, you know, again, wanting to be like Barcelona when Roma, Roman first bought the club and then seeing what Liverpool has done with Klopp by giving him five seasons to get to where he is now. I, I think we've we've turned a page. How do we think Poch's uh how do we think Poch's Mourinho impression is going? Pretty good so far or what? <laughs> how so? Have you guys been seeing the way he's been talking and acting? No, I haven't. He's just been a pouty, whiny little bitch this whole time. But I mean I mean to a sense it's warranted like Andres said. But you know to like a certain to a certain extent like it's your job to keep the dressing room as happy as possible. And to play the players that are willing to commit and give you 110%, and he continues to select all the players that just disappoint week in and week out. I don't know. Anyways, I, I want to move on. I am so done talking about Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> all right, let's let's get let's talk a little bit more about Chelsea. We got a really good question from Adlara Adlar Alpha. I don't know how to pronounce that, but what's up, Adlar Alpha? Uh, you can do any better. Um, so he asks. Really great question. Would you rather have Makaleli in his prime or Conte? And I'm assuming he didn't say in his prime for Conte because right now is his prime. He's always uh, in his prime. Yeah, he's been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Zach, who would you pick? Okay, when I was young, I remember watching Makaleli and I remember him being one of the first truly elite midfield players that I've ever seen, not just at Chelsea, but ever, period. Um, and, and I always love Makaleli, but I have to go with N'Golo Conte on this one. Um, the only reason being is that he's just a much more complete midfielder than Makaleli was. And I think if you asked me this question maybe two years ago, I would have said, eh, it's probably dead even. But these past two seasons, we've seen Conte play all three midfield positions We've seen, you know, his range of passing improve. His work rate goes without saying. And now he's starting to chip in goals. I mean, he just seems like the complete midfielder at the moment. And I love them both, but it's got to be N'Golo Conte right now, 100%. And uh, I'm going to go out there on a limb, guys. And I, I am going to say he might be arguably the best midfield player for, to play for Chelsea behind Frank Lampard. Mm. Oh, you're gonna Oof. say even better than Frank Lampard? Hell no! no I'll no, quit. No. This I feel podcast. like that was your answer. I feel like that was your answer. No, 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 no. It wasn't. I said behind it. Frank. La- no, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't. Okay. It was not. I mean, okay. I just want to okay. make sure. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Because <laughs> you know he he's still he's still around the club, so you know he hears he hears 
this kind of stuff. Listen, guys, I was so close to putting Josh McEachern in, but I had to change my mind, and I remembered that Frank Lampard is our leading goal scorer. So I'm glad you remembered it. Um, so uh, last Marco question. Marin. <laughs> last I, one, guys. There, I agree. There with were a that. lot of goats. Yeah. In case you forgot to ask me some, it's cool. Well, I just saw what your answer was what Zach said, so I just <laughs> yeah. I mean, to, I'll, I'll keep it short. I would go with Conte too. I know Makalele is, you know, the Makalele role when you think of a lone DM behind two box-to-box midfielders, and and yeah, Makalele was a monster at that. But that's the one thing he could do, right? Like he was gonna stop anyone from from getting to your back four, or or he would shield your back four. And, and Conte does so much more than that. He can dribble out of pressure. He can distribute. He's now contributing goals. Like, it's hard for me to to pick Makalele over Conte when I know that Conte can do what Makalele was doing and some. So, yeah. Can I give a shout-out to uh, Michael Essien, though? That's, what I, that's yeah. the other thing I was thinking of. I, honestly, I would even— Rude Hullet. A, a perfectly healthy Michael Essien I would even put in front of Makaleli. We just didn't get to see that often. Ooh. But I, I loved Michael Essien. Like his potential to have been probably like one of the best midfielders ever was there if it wasn't for the fact that his body just didn't agree with him. Shout out to his goal against Arsenal. <laughs> and Barcelona. And Barcelona, <laughs> yep. Uh, the final question, let's just – Let's just have a quick chat about Cho. Uh, now that we've got a pretty reasonable sample size of Cho, how do we think he looks, uh, especially you know considering what we saw from him last year? Andreas, I'll let you go first since I didn't ask you the last <laughs> question. Yeah, I, all I can think about is that that like soundbite from that NFL coach that used to be in like I think they used to do it for beer commercials like they are who they thought they were, like yeah. <laughs> Cho is exactly who we thought he was. Like four matches he's come back and he's had a goal contribution in each of the four matches. Like he has made his impact felt immediately. And for everyone that's like, oh, screw him, sell him to Bayern because he doesn't want to be here. Are you kidding me? He's just shown why people were willing to pay that 40, 50 million price tag for him in just four games. Like right now his finishing is rusty, but I – don't expect that to be 100% back since he missed so much time. But he has been making himself felt in, every, making himself felt in the pitch every time he's played. Off the bench, as a starter, like, he doesn't look like the young kid that's trying to break through. He, he, is, he knows he can be a star, and that confidence is awesome. And on top of that, I got to give him props because you can definitely tell that he hit the weight room while he was off like he has gotten so much more built and and kind of ready to to be a little bit more physical because he's filled out that uniform no no homo but like yeah cho is looking good man like he is looking yeah we we lost a lot of thickness after eden hazard left so it's good to (laughs) we did no 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 no, i place that role Eden Hazard was the definition of durability. How many times did he get raked down the back of his Achilles and get up without arguing, without bitching, without moaning? And I think Cho, Cho's body is starting to like resemble Hazard's in that sense. He looks very bottom heavy now, but in a good way. Like he is solid, man, and, and he has a really he has a really athletic physique just in general. We knew that last season, mm-hmm. but Andres, you're right. Like I noticed it too, and that's what I was gonna mention about him is. 
he looks like he's really committed himself to adapting his body to be able to cope with the Premier League and to cope with that physicality. And I think the word that we're missing when we go and describe Cho, especially his mentality, is the kid's a killer. He, 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 he He's a stone-cold killer. He wants to score the goals. He wants to seize the big moments. He wants the ball at his feet. He wants that responsibility. That's something you cannot teach. And the thing that's impressive about not only him but the whole Chelsea side and I think this is the overarching you know, theme of our podcast this whole season, is that we have more than one of these players. We saw it from Loftus-Cheek last season. He would grab games by the scruff of the neck. Now we're seeing it with Tammy Abraham. We're seeing it with Mason Mount. These guys want to be the guy. And we have five of them. So just imagine, you know, what... Imagine uh, uh, imagine the training sessions. Imagine how intense things are, you know. Imagine how much they're pushing each other in the weight room, on the training pitch, on the field. It, it, you know, it's 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 so exciting. So I'm, follow follow up question to that though. Yeah. You you talk about the five guys that all want to be the guy. Yeah. Would we would they even be given that chance if Hazard was still here? No. No way. I think I I think maybe um, I mean, Cho was getting a chance, Loftus Cheek, but I don't, I don't think I think Mason Mount would have been a bit part player. Tammy Abraham would have gotten a few cut matches. I don't mean it in terms of have that same drive to be the guy if there was already the guy here. That that's the point I'm trying to make. Like they oh, came into oh, oh like the spots up for grabs. Right, they came into a uh, a. What's the word I'm looking for here? A a team without an identity or without a go-to guy. Like these guys came during a clean slate moment. My question is, in their own heads, would they have been able to find that same drive if the 30-plus goal contribution guy was still here? I think that I I I, re- I think that you're making a really good point, Andreas. Yeah. I think that it it definitely like like the identity was Eden Hazard and I know we talk about what what did you say 60 plus percent of our goal output from last season but no yeah. one really talks about the 70 plus percent of the thick factor the thickness factor we lost also when he left but, <laughs> uh, no, I, was, I was holding on to that joke for a while but it goes yeah, it goes back yeah. it, it goes back to that argument where where you know last season we kind of mentioned it when Hazard's not on a pitch we do look a little more fluid and I, I and it definitely is more free flowing. You know, oh. Frank you doesn't theory? really have an established pattern of play in the attacking third. It's more of okay, we're gonna have Jorginho sit at the base and he's just gonna be you know whipping it from side to side, just a metronome, and the rest of the guys are just gonna find their own space. You know, and it's working. And in a sense, I mean, you look at all the great teams. They don't really have a set pattern of play in the attacking third. They have build-up play out of the back and in the middle third, right? Through the midfield, there's transitions and build-ups. But in the attacking third, when teams are packing the box, then there's no pattern of play. You know, these guys are just kind of winging it and doing their own thing. And right now, that's what we're doing, and it's coming off. And and, and that's what and that's what I'm saying. Like, we have five guys that want to be the guy. And when you have a system that allows them to express themselves freely, to enjoy their football at the club they love, under their icon manager that they idolized growing up while they're playing with their friends is 
a dream come true not only for them but for the fans. Sam, you said earlier in the podcast like you haven't felt this feeling in a long time. Like it's been since 2012. I haven't felt this sort of sense of pride of you know like this is a team we could be proud of. You know, you're not going to turn on the TV. I'm not going to wake up at 4:30 in the morning and watch us complete 898 passes and have three shots on target. I'm going to see us flying into challenges and 50-50 balls. 53% possession, scrappy ass game, but 11 shots on target. And I'm on the edge of my seat the whole entire time. I didn't need my coffee in the first half against Southampton. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I didn't have a cup of coffee in the first half of a Chelsea. I live in I live in LA. So <laughs> our kickoffs are like 4:30, 6 o'clock, 7 a.m. Exactly. But like this is like, great. It, like when like it's it's such a dread to like wake up to your alarm at four in the morning, and like you know in the past seasons. Yeah, in past seasons. Like that that's what you think, right? When you wake up, it's like, Oh, am I about to just wake up for this you got match? City I'm not at four thirty in the morning. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, I'm just like, All right, you know what? I'm just gonna sleep through this. I'll I'll watch the highlights and see that we lost. But now, yeah, it made you for actually yourself. like, like get up for the are match. awake for every match, man. Yeah, you know, you know the saying, up for the match? I, I'm I'm up for the match. Let's go. <laughs> it's easier for Andreas. He's got two hours on us, okay? Are you are, are how are you guys feeling about Newcastle? Do you want to get into it? We have, we have we have like two weeks until that match, huh? No, we don't have to get into it. Get into it, but like I'd I'd like to give my prediction. I well, feel very confident about my prediction. We're better I, than United. Yeah, so I was going <laughs> to make a joke about United too. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> Shout out to the Longstaff family for that result, by the way. Well done. Thank you for your beautiful redheaded children. <laughs> no, I I do want to say one thing about that match, and it was that post-match interview with De Gea, man, like, oh, that was depressing. What and about, oh, God, yeah. Like, what, what I've about, never seen someone look so defeated, just has no answers as to where to go. signed a new contract, Andres. <laughs> just about to say that. Like, like, that's the face of someone who just signed a seven-year extension with a yeah. shit. He was never going to sign that contract, and then, like, in the span of a week, he decided to sign it, and then two weeks after that, he goes out and, and and Rashford tweeted this today too, and he said, as a United fan, like we're disappointed. Like it's gotten to that point. Did you guys see Solskjaer's press conference? Was 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 yeah. even better. Oh my god, it was. He's, he's it, talking about. All, he has no idea how to fix it. He yeah, is a it, man it, without a plan. He just has no fucking clue. And, and to bring it back to, to just Chelsea for a second, you mentioned Rashford. I just want to point out that Tammy Abraham has eight league goals in October, and Rashford, his best tally in the Premier League, he's on his third or fourth season now, is 10 total for the season. So wow. for all of you that are trying to tell me that Rashford should be the number two behind Harry Kane, you can <laughs> just fuck off. I mean, I think this season pretty much set it is, in stone. He is Rashford be. at the point where, like, he's a border not he's not a flop because he's a very good player, but is he at the he's point where sure. he's he, yeah, he needs yeah. a new? I think he needs to go somewhere else, man. Like wow. right now, I think he just needs to find a different home, and, and I I just don't know because at United he can't hang around too long. Is, He'll turn into Walcott. <laughs> well, maybe because the thing with United's been is they've just kind of put him 
where they needed a guy. Like, it's not been built around what he can do. So he's played at striker. He's played at left wing. He's played at right wing. Like, what does Rashford, what is Rashford's best position? And, and we talked about this a lot in Chelsea with, with Loftus-Cheek. It's, when you're at that age, you need to start specializing in what you do. Like, yeah. you, Lionel Messi was played at the wing 90% of his career minus one season where he played a false nine. Like, that's how you get to be the best version of yourself as a player. Like, I, I think that United's post-Ferguson uh, carousel has really slowed him down because he is an athlete. I mean, I'm ragging on him because he, you know, he's the guy that gets the the FIFA ratings and the, the commercials and whatnot. Yeah. And then Tammy, who is supposed to be a championship striker, is doing it better than he is in his first ever real season as a starter at a Premier League team. So, so how about Newcastle? <laughs> I don't know why I got this thought in my head, but I think like him going to Dortmund with Jaden Sancho would be like a really sick duo. And yeah, yeah, but Sancho's off, isn't he? I, it, bottom line is, I don't think Rashford's going anywhere. Yeah, he's, he's going to say at United, and I just think he's gonna he's either gonna rot or he's gonna turn into like a B plus player who's you know gonna chip in ten to fifteen goals a season for them, you know, and just be like a really good player, but. He's definitely not like that elite caliber anymore. But anyways, United's not elite anymore. United fucking sucks. Shit. God. I mean, I mean, I mean, they're really bad. <laughs> so is but, Newcastle. Uh, yeah, so is <laughs> yes, Newcastle. They are sixteenth so. in the table right now. Yeah. Ugh. Yikes. Where's um, Where's Man United? Eighth, ninth, tenth? No, they're. I think 12. they're two spots above relegation. They're, no, they're twelfth right now. Oh, but that's I think Might just well based be. off goal differential. Yikes! Okay, back to Newcastle, guys. What what, what are we predicting? I predict I've never been play a back five against us. <laughs> I've never been this excited to drop a prediction in a podcast before. All right, go Zach. Five nil Chelsea. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I'm going I mean, five I'm not, nil Chelsea. Listen, that. listen. They barely beat United. Who wasn't even trying won nothing. <laughs> this Chelsea team is like the probably the scariest team to go up against outside of Liverpool or City. I, I I'd say us and Leicester would probably be the two teams you do not want to face outside like the big boys. At this yeah, point in time. I agree with that. So we've you know, allowed one more our, goal than them this season, just so you know. So like dude, the talk that you have of them is like you know. Our high press and their inability to score goals. Like, they only scored five goals this season. Yikes. Wow. I did yeah. not even see that. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, hashtag pray for Newcastle, guys. Yeah. <laughs> At least, hey, Watford, four goals, 20 goals against, 420. Nice. I, I think uh, my prediction on it is it won't be a score prediction, but I think Cho will get a brace. I think that he's going to get that duck off from, from not scoring. I think he'll get a few in this game. That'll be beautiful. Maybe a little Pulisic cameo. Maybe some Pulisic v. DeAndre Yedlin 1v1s. Oh, man. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will cream myself if I see that. Uh, but anyways, guys. That's the end of the podcast. We are way over time. Uh, we are, you know, it, it's late. Forgive yeah. us. It's been a long week, but a fucking great week, as I said right when this podcast started. So, 
Uh, if you want to make your week better, make sure you add us on Instagram. I promise I'll post something this week at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, you could also follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod as well. Romans Empire Pod at gmail.com for any stories, questions, comments, concerns. Let us know what you guys think of the show. We love your feedback and we also uh, we love to communicate with you guys. Um, so until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>